welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Natasha de Grunewald has been connected to the well-being space for over 40 years. As a certified breathwork facilitator, mentor and founder of the Toxic Release Method. And it's this methodology that I really want to talk to her about today. So Natasha, I first met you at the Awakening Festival on the Isle of Wight last year and had the privilege of experiencing a breathwork session that you led. And it was one of the introductions that I actually had to breathwork. And I've since gone on to experience more on my travels, but it's such a powerful practice and you lead it so beautifully. Can you tell <laughs> me a little bit about how you discover breathwork and also how you use it and incorporate it into this toxic release method that you've yeah. founded? Yeah, absolutely. So my dad died nearly four years ago and my sister, my siblings went and had sort of talk therapy, you know, they got sort of counselling support and I didn't, that didn't feel like it was going to be helpful for me. And I found myself somehow or other just discovering an online breathwork um, event. So I had a breathe and in that breathwork, I connected very strongly to the grief and I actually was, because in, in real life, I'd been with my dad when he died and I'd watched his dying breath, which I was really fascinated by. There was that sort of part of me that was like observing his his dying breath and another part of me that was feeling the experience of a parent dying. Um, but I was able to separate the two. It was It was very fascinating. But in the breath work, I was back in that room with him and his breath and my breath became one breath. And I realized that he gave me the breath because he gave me life and that his you know, his blood runs through my blood. And as we breathe, we move blood, we move, you know, we move so much of the physiology. And so it, it became very fascinating to me. And um, that was that was the start of a kind of falling in love process that I now have. I'm so deeply in love with what the breath does for people. Um, and, you know, it's medicine that's just right there. I know the whole time. So it's, you know, it's very empowering, I think, for people because you can change your physiology with the breath in a in a in an instant with one breath, you know. That's also what I love about breath work is is the accessibility of it for ev everyone and the profoundness that it can that it can have on on our physiology, on our psychology, on our emotions. Yeah. It's such a profound and yet so simple and accessible practice. It's something that um, I personally am falling in love with as well. Mm, good. Um, 
there's many different ways that you can breathe. And what I've really noticed and observed in clinic is how people do not breathe in a healthy, functional way. So for me, that's always really the safest place to start. Um, you know, people want to go and have like big psychedelic experiences through breath work, which is possible and is amazing. And I love that too. But actually, I believe that just retraining the body how to breathe really well has really long lasting health benefits. And I think that's a really important place for people to start. Can you um, actually talk me through what a good functional breath yeah. is because I think like. I've, yeah I think I've had the mm. psychedelic experiences which are amazing but actually I've never had someone break it down as to explain how I should be breathing on a day-to-day mm. basis mm, sure yeah so when we breathe in our belly should extend so we should we should have like a big belly as we move as we breathe in and our ribs, you know, the rib cage, the kind of all the way around the rib cage should expand away from the spine and the um, the chest should lift. So there's this sort of huge movement of the body as we breathe in. And then as we breathe out, everything comes back to center. So the, the belly collapses, the ribs come back towards the spine, the chest relaxes. And what happens when usually what has happened is even from the first breath that we take, we are born into like a trauma, into a stress. Even being born is stressful. And often, you know, babies get rubbed to kind of um, activate them or they've had a difficult journey down through the birth canal or they've been born through C-section and all these things actually influence the way that we breathe our entire lives because that first breath is often one of stress. And so that starts this whole process of us breathing in a, in a dysfunctional way. And we've always done it and it works, you know, we're here breathing, but actually, when we breathe in a really functional way, like I was just explaining to you, we get more breath into the body. We get a complete breath into the body for people, for your listeners to just be focusing on that in breath and allowing the belly to expand, the ch- the ribs to expand all the way around, the chest to lift. And then on the out breath for it all to kind of come back down and relax is and there's more to it than that. But that would be a really good place to start. Um, But just coming back to the toxic release, because I know you asked me about that. I mean, my daughter has been an amazing, um, I've sort of observed her for over 20 years with her psychosomatic presentations, and there have been many, many, many of them. Um, So that has been really interesting and and also hard for me to, to kind of disconnect my what I would be like with my clients to with my daughter, you know, it's, it's kind of a a bit of a balance to have there, but it has helped me look at the body and the link with the psyche in a very helpful way, actually. And so it has helped me develop the toxic release method, um, which is all about really the integration of us as a whole, you know, like we cannot, we cannot actually separate out the soul the psyche, the emotions, our creative expression, the body, the voice, um, all of it is 
you know, was so complex. And I really think now is the time for us to bring all of that together, which is what I've um, what I've done really with the toxic release method. I've brought together some coaching and um, ways of working with people through talking and exploring what their thoughts are and their beliefs are and their patterns and the way they think habitually. Um, and then looking at that with how that affects the body, how that affects their emotions, how much they're expressing their emotions, how connected they are to their own inner landscape. Because I really believe that when we are not deeply rooted in ourselves and aligned to ourselves and resilient within ourselves, we are constantly bombarded by what is happening outside of us. And that causes disease. Yeah. So I'm very excited about this method. <laughs> so talk me through, like talk me through what, um, first of all, I'm really curious around um who this method is suitable for like you know what mm -hmm. kind of uh pathologies do you tend to work with or that you want to work with and also then talk me through what a session of toxic release might look like with you mm. so really it's for it's pretty much going to help for anyone because the person, the practitioner or the facilitator of the toxic release method will be able to work in quite a flexible way, depending on what the needs of the client are. Um, but however, it is really for people who have been in some kind of toxic relationship. Now, I would say that most people can put their hands up and say they've been in a toxic relationship, whether that's through narcissistic abuse, bullying, um, you know, verbal abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse, any any of those. However, also through the way that we treat ourselves, because I think that we are often the most toxic relationship we're in is the one we have with ourselves. <laughs> and so, you know, that's that needs shifting really for us to really make headway with our health. You know, we need to, we, we can't really ignore what comes up for us. Um, and so a toxic release method facilitator will be able to facilitate someone going through a process. They might come with a pain in their body and that might be the best place for them to start because often um, working with the body is it creates safety and it creates rapport. And then through that safety, you can then go into looking at like breath work and, and using that to bring up some of the things that have been held in the body that maybe aren't coming up through touch. And then we can integrate that with some, some coaching and some exploration, some inner child work, looking at all of those kind of thought cycles that people get stuck in that are really, yeah, accumulating and becoming a physical issue. So I kind of see it as very fluid. So yeah. they, they may, you may um, be working with people who are expressing a physical pain and then through working with touch or breath, you are able to work through the emotions, the mm -hmm. thoughts, that are underlying the pain exactly 
Yeah, absolutely. Because I believe that the physical body is really the end result of everything else. So I think things start with beliefs and thoughts and then they become a feeling and that feeling can um, end up becoming um, a physical representation if we're not allowing it to sort of move through. But I also look at the body through the elements because I have taught Thai massage and Thai medicine for many, many years and they look at the body. One of the ways they look at the anatomy and physiology is through the elements. Um, and so that is also very fascinating that we have wind element, which is very fast moving and then slightly slower is fire. Wind element is very much to do with thoughts and pain. Fire is very much to do with ripening and transformation. And then it comes down to the anatomy of the body, which is water and earth. And actually, when we look at the body and and the whole of ourselves through that lens, it's very fascinating as well. So um, I find that, that helpful. Yeah, that that sounds very reminiscent to the way the Ayurvedic system proceeds, proceeds yeah. and, and um, looks at the body through the uh through, through the elements, yeah, through the elements mm. and, the, and the doshas and the relationship between mm. all of those. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you're saying around the thoughts being ether. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm starting to really see through all my conversations that I'm having on this podcast that a lot of so-called alternative therapies um, recognize that there is an energy body, an emotional body, a psychological body, and a physical body. Mm. And I guess I am exploring how to describe or how to explain or how to conceptualize what the energy body actually is. Mm. Um, I think that it has something to do with the communication between the 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 mind and the body it's, it's all the, the it's the communication between the nervous system and the immune system all these communications going on the flow of that information i think is what the energy body actually represents if we had to mm. sort of look at it like that we've got our emotional mm. state then impacts the thoughts that we have that then form our beliefs and these are neural pathways that, mm. and 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 pathways that then develop and then can become solidified in mm. our physical body and i think that's a huge limitation within the medical paradigm that only sees the body as a physical as a physical um structure mm. and i think that's a missing link that seems to yeah be be at the moment yeah. which i think um then limits limits the depth mm. of healing that is possible within that paradigm yeah I, there's so much there in what you've said and i'm so happy that you're attempting to bridge that gap and also it's so complex isn't it when we start actually seeing everything as a whole and i guess this leads me on to talking to you about the somatization experience because I know that in your work 
through your experience, you have, I guess, noticed different emotions being stored in different parts of the body. Mm -hmm. And I find this so fascinating. Um, Mm -hmm. I know there's been quite a lot of work done um, through people, the most famous being Louise Hay or Caroline Mace, sort of trying to mm. trying to draw a map or the anatomy of our energy um, or mm. emotional bodies, as in different emotions being stored in different organs or joints or limbs. Or and this really really fascinates me. So can you mm. tell me about? your experience of that, but also where big emotions are held within the body from your experience? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I have a few potentially polarizing opinions about this. (laughs) Um, Because on the one hand, I do believe that there are areas of the body that we hold specific um, emotions or uh, patterns or whatever they might be. So for example, I think most people will have heard the idea that your lungs hold grief. Mm. And I do believe that to be true. Um, and, and yet I think the lungs can also hold other emotions. So I don't think we can be really prescriptive Um, because I think there's so much that makes up our uniqueness through our lived experience or even our ancestral lineage that it's very hard to just say you and me both experience grief in our lungs because for all I know, I could have grief in my uterus. I could have grief in my throat. I could have, you know, who knows? <laughs> I I will know if if I get to ask myself the right questions and be open to what I my innate wisdom and my innate um experience of life, I believe that we do actually have the answers within us. However, I do like the maps and I do find them helpful. So and and I do see that we also do have those patterns um, often repeated between all of us, you know. Um, So, for example, I believe that the knees are your seats of understanding. So the knees often show up as a problem for people when there is something they're not understanding in their life. Um, And so I don't know what Louise Hay says about the knees. She might say something like, unable to take a step forwards or something, although maybe that's the feet. Um, And I, and I do think it's good because I think it gets us to look at ourselves in it from a different perspective and a different viewpoint and be like, Oh, are my knees restricted right now or painful? Cause I'm not understanding something or I'm not aligned. My thoughts and my feelings aren't aligned about something. So something has to become a misalignment in my physical body. You know, um, yeah, so I'm sort of that sort of on the one hand, I do like the maps because I think they help us to start viewing things differently. On the other hand, I don't think we should get too attached to the story of that because I think we are we do all have a, a unique experience of life and we have to take also take that into account so i think there's 
I think the questions we ask ourselves are so important. And it's why having people like you who are looking at things from a wider view and working with your clients and bringing that in is so important because it will get your patients or clients to maybe look at themselves in a slightly different way. Same thing that I'm doing through the coaching and the breath and the touch and the and the quest. I just think the questions are almost more important than the answers because they open up our mind to possibility. And when you often the body tells you when you're onto it, the body will like, as I'm speaking now to you, I feel my nervous system. I feel like kind of goosebumpy and a bit activated through having this conversation, which tells me, I know I'm onto something. My body is telling me that. There's a resonation in my body right now. You know, so that's how we can use the body in a perfect way. It's like, what's the body saying to us and and, and why? I think this is, you know, this is so important. I mean, as a doctor, we are told in medical school the diagnosis is all in the history. Mm-hmm. It's all in the story. It's all there. If you ask the right questions, you will get the right diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But in A&E right now, with such time constraints, It is so difficult to be able to sit down with your patient and really get a deep, thorough history. And I think that's also being lost within the GP surgery, not just because they've got an average of seven minutes to see each patient, but because we we don't have a regular GP anymore. So we're not building up that rapport. We're not building up that relationship. And there's so much lost in that lost relationship. Um, But... There, it is all in the story. And the number of you know, junior doctors that will come to me um, to discuss their patients and lead with the investigations or lead with you know, um, the, the blood results or, you know, or whether or not they need a CT, I'll always bring them back into the history well what does and what does the history say what what do you what do you really feel it is like you know and if you don't truly understand what that person is going through to bring them here today if you don't feel like you could be in the room with them while whatever was going was what was going on you're you're not going to get the answer it is all there but the way our system is set up right now, it's very protocol driven, it's very investigation heavy. um, And we're really moving away from the importance of a really thorough history, um, which is essentially the story of why that person Mm. is here, what that person has gone through to to present to you. Um, and there is so much wisdom within that. If we mm. only just listen, not just to ourselves as the patient, but, you know, as a doctor, or as a practitioner. Mm. That's so, I love 
to hear that 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 is how you're you know that finding that the story is also really important at, at you know in in from your angle because I, and I remember seeing that when I was you know I'm old enough now to remember having a family doctor and it and it was like that and it's not anymore and it's heartbreaking um and yet I suppose right now like with the thing that you're doing through this podcast and raising awareness and other people are doing too like Gabor Mate actually really bringing um you know maybe we are on that precipice of creating something new I hope we are. That's what I believe we're doing. I prefer to look at it that way than to just be getting depressed about everything. Um, because, you know, we cannot separate out birth and trauma and childhood trauma and all of it from how we physically, emotionally, even functionally present, you know. Um, it's, it's so interesting. And, yeah, I know you've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got our work cut out for for us for sure, and and you know the thing there is a big movement, and I think that we are on the precipice of big change, and we've got you know science coming out all the time which supports this. Um, today I was just listening to a podcast myself about adverse childhood events and the obvious impact that our early emotional lives have on the instance of physical chronic diseases later on in life. So we are bridging that gap. We are starting to link, but it is slow progress. Mm, Um, But, you know, all progress is. So I think we just need to, (laughs) as you say, focus on the, the optimistic viewpoint that things are moving at least in the right direction. But There's another thing I'd just really like to say, actually, which I think is also really overlooked in this whole thing that we're talking about, which is the health of the practitioner or the doctor and their own, the importance of them doing the inner work too, which in the toxic release method one third of the training is actually for the facilitator to do their own inner work and be on their own personal journey because, um, and I wanted to say this to you because I see this, I've been in A&E with my daughter a lot over the last year and I see the stress that doctors are having to deal with and it's just, it's actually not okay. It's really traumatic to see, to even see it, to see what they're dealing with. Uh, I don't know if there's enough support for them. Um, for me in the complementary health field, like I can create a course where the people that come and train with me learn how to be resilient in themselves and deal with all the stuff that comes up in their, from their own backgrounds because they're not separate. That's another area that is not separate. Like your awareness of your own journey is going to absolutely, like you were saying, can you stay in the room when someone's dying? Can you stay in the room when there's blood everywhere? What's it bringing up for you? You know, and, or even when someone is sharing their story and all of those things, they trigger us too. And we, we, it's very important that we look after ourselves to be able to facilitate health for other people. And I think that is hugely overlooked and I am massively passionate about that changing Mm. 
I think what you're really speaking to is not even just the dealing with the stress of the job, which is, uh, you know, a huge movement that needs more attention in and of itself, especially the impact of um, COVID on our on on NHS staff has been so huge um, that at least it's drawing uh, attention to the need for um, more support. Um, but what you're really, I think, pointing to is actually the importance of looking inward to see our own relationship to pain, um, our own relationship to being unwell, our own relationship to presenting um, with with, with any sort of symptom that then we're faced with, because I've noticed I'm being triggered and I have to sort of sit with, oh, this is bringing up something for me because if I'm not aware of it, I will react to it and almost like project and project onto the patient something that I, I'm uncomfortable with feeling myself. Um, a psychotherapist is trained in order to notice their own inner landscape while in relationship with the person that they are dealing with we are not that is not something that is um that is uh done at all with doctors mm. and that is a missing mm. trick actually i think that's really important because yeah especially doctors being the type of people that they are so overachievers um particularly overachievers who are I think there's something really to that sort of personality that doesn't tolerate um, illness or uh, well, you know, in themselves, but certainly doesn't tolerate it necessarily and therefore others because they have often ignored their their own inner journey in the exactly in the pursuit of the ambition that it takes to get. Um, to become a doctor so Mm. I think that there is a really interesting kind of relationship that doctors Mm. hold to their own um, health and how that affects the Mm. dynamic in the room with our patients uh, I think that's a really important piece that I think does require attention and so just to close our conversation today um Natasha, can you just, I think you've got a toxic release method training coming up. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Mm. Well, it's um, it's for rolling enrollments. So you can enroll, enroll at any time. It's for people who are already practitioners, therapists, coaches, movement educators, um, because it really is to be able to facilitate that kind of transformation for people on the level that I'm teaching they need to have some existing experience already. However, I've got other trainings that can be a starting place for people who might be interested in going into this work. Um, And I also have a three-day event coming up, which will be like a introduction to the toxic release method for people that might be interested um, as I've said already, I integrate lots of different tools and practices so that the facilitator can work in a really flexible way with the needs of the client. And it also is going to teach you how to learn about yourself and release some of your own traumas so that you can really hold a very powerful, safe space for people as they go through their own journey. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm very, very excited about it. I have to say it feels like it's 
an accumulation of my three, four decades of research and experience all come together into one one training. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. Um and people can find me on Instagram, Natasha.degrunvold. It's probably a good place to connect with me. I'm quite active there. Um, it's been such a beautiful conversation with you, Jude. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening, Body Mind Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.